It's a typical Sunday morning. You're getting your family ready to go to church, and it's become habit, something you're used to doing. You wake up, you throw some breakfast together, you get the kids fed and ready to go. You sit at the same spot at the table. You sit in the same seat in your car on the way to church. You look out the same window and see the same fields, the way they've been looking for the last however many months. But all of a sudden, as you get to church, something is different. You can't put your finger on it yet, but something seems to be out of place. As you walk through the doors, you come to the coffee pot, and there's a giant crowd gathering there, and you see a face. You recognize him. But this face you're not used to seeing inside. He's always sat outside because he couldn't stand up, but now he's standing, drinking coffee and having a great time with everyone else around him. And the crowd is gathering around trying to figure out, how is this man standing? He's been lame since birth. And all of a sudden, someone starts to address the curious crowd, and they're listening on the edge of their seats trying to find out what happened. How can this man be walking now? Today we're going to look at that message, the same message that these people heard. And not only look at that message, but hopefully hear it for ourselves as well. The message of Peter that he shares in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. And I invite you to stand and follow along with me as I read Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. Reading in Jesus' name. When he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them and to the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his, his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Father God, these are your words. Your word is truth. Sanctify us this morning in your truth. Open up our hearts to receive the words that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Peter has a message for the masses. He begins by answering their question, how is this man healed? And then he accuses the crowd. But before the crowd can get up in arms, he speaks on their behalf and points them to a hope. But first, let's ask the question, how is this man healed? And he says in verse 13, but when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant. The crowd started to gather around Peter and John as though it was their actions, as though it was their faith, their holiness, their goodness that had somehow healed this man. And they want to get a piece of this. They want to be healed of whatever they have as well. But Peter and John are quick to defray the praise to where it belongs. They don't want the attention. They don't want the glory, and so they point these people to where the glory really belongs, to the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the God of all of the other patriarchs who looked and trusted in Yahweh. God has done this. This is what Peter is saying. It's not us, it's God who has done this. And yet Peter gives another description of the one who has done this. He says in verse 16, and on the basis of faith in his name, the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know, and the faith which through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. The one who has done this is God's servant, Jesus. This is what Peter is saying to these devout Jews who have gathered together this morning to come and pray. And they see this man who's been healed. And now they're hearing he's been healed by Jesus. I imagine silence coming over the crowd. There's that name again. At that very moment, these devout Jews had a choice to make. What will we do with Jesus? See, the Jewish leaders thought that they had solved the problem with this man. They had sent him to the cross. They had crucified him. He has died the death of a criminal, and they thought, finally, we are done with him. Life can go back to normal again. But Christ had been risen again. They thought this period of the king of the Jews was behind them. But here again, the name is back, and the problem returns. Jesus can't just be written off. So Peter reminds the crowds of what they had already done with Jesus before. He says, Jesus is the one whom you delivered, the one whom you disowned in the presence of Pilate. Even when Pilate decided to release him, you disowned him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you put to death the prince of life. What's Peter saying? Plain and simply saying, you killed him. What have you done with Jesus before? You are the ones who crucified him. Even when Pilate said, he's innocent. Why do you want me to put him to death? And you say, crucify him. Instead, give us Barabbas. Instead, give us this murderer. We want him. We don't want this author of life. We don't want this prince of life. You can have him. Kill him. Take away our problems and give us Barabbas back. How could they do such a thing? How could they ask for a murderer in exchange for someone who has come to brought them life? It seems so backwards. It doesn't make any sense. And yet this is what Peter is saying. You killed Jesus. This is your fault. This is your doing. You are the ones who disowned him and turned him over to Pilate. You are the ones 
who crucified him. Remarkable words coming from Peter, who if you remember the night in which Jesus was betrayed, was the one who when asked, do you know Jesus, says, no, I don't know him. The one who denies being acquainted with Jesus in any way, saying, I tell you, I do not know the man. And now this man who is afraid to even say, I know Jesus, is saying, you killed him to this group of devout Jews who'd gathered to worship. Peter lands the accusation on these people. These people who asked for a murderer to be released. These people who demanded that the one who came to save them be crucified. But he doesn't stop here. They wanted to know how this man was healed. And Peter tells them, the answer is the one that you put to death, God raised back to life. And it is faith in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord and Savior, who has saved this man. It is Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, but Christ raised back to life again, who has healed this man. Jesus isn't an organ donor. He's not giving this man his muscles, but he is giving this man healing because he is alive and well today. Peter proceeds to tell them this was God's plan. They ask themselves, how could we ever rid ourselves of this guilt that, that I killed Jesus? And Peter says, this has been God's plan. This is God's plan from the beginning. In verse 18, he says, But the things which God announced beforehand, by the mouth of all of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. And in verse 24, And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and his successors onward, also announced these days. Peter's saying these events have happened just as they have been foretold. Just as all of the prophets before have said word for word, Christ has fulfilled it. This has always been God's plan. Even since the beginning, when sin first entered into the world, God was going to take care of it. He was going to defeat sin, death, and the devil. And in the fullness of time, God came to earth in the God-man Jesus Christ to do just that to take care of sin, to defeat it. He was delivered over to death and he gave up his life in order to be the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. In order for forgiveness to be possible, Christ gave up his life willingly. In order to remove the ugly barrier between God and man, Jesus Christ came to live among us and die. And as Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies, what are the words that he utters? from the cross as he's hanging there on the tree. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Jews often get a bad rap for sending Jesus to the cross. It's true. Historically, that's the fact. They are the group of people who delivered him over to Pilate. They are the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him. They're the ones that asked for the murderer back in exchange for the prince of life. But Jesus, the author of life, went to the cross willingly. At any point, Jesus could have stopped and said, Enough! I've had enough of these sinful people! And called down fire and cleared his problem. But he didn't. He willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty willingly went to the cross to fulfill all of the prophets, all of the messages that these prophets had been saying for thousands of years. And it wasn't just the Jews that sent Jesus to the tree. It was you. 
and it was me. Because Christ died for sin. Because Christ died for all sin. Every single one of sins ever to be committed, ever have been committed, Christ died for that. And that includes your sin. That includes my sin. So at the end of the day, I can't say the Jews killed Jesus without saying, I killed Jesus. It was my sin that nailed Christ there. For all the times that we've said a little white lie, for all the times that we've gossiped about that one person behind their back, for the times that you didn't do what God has called you to do, for all the times that you've disobeyed God and you've said to yourself, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not hurting anybody. No one knows about this. The fact of the matter is, those sins sent Christ to the cross. It's not hurting anybody. It killed Jesus. It sent Jesus to come to this earth to be whipped beyond recognition so that you can be forgiven of that little white lie that wasn't hurting anyone. As we read this text today, it's easy to point to the Jews and say, how could you do something? How could you do something so ridiculous to ask for a murderer and send Jesus over to be killed? But this morning, as we hear this message, don't point the finger at someone else, but look into ourselves and ask ourselves the question, how could I? How could I give in to this white, little white lie that's not going to hurt anybody when it sends Jesus to the cross? How could I do this? Peter calls these Jews ignorant, not in a condescending way, but somehow he does it in a loving way, in a tender way. Yes, he's just called them all murderers for putting to death Jesus, but he doesn't intend to leave them there. And as they realize what they've done, as they recognize that it was I who sent Jesus to the cross, Peter tells them, you didn't know what you were doing. He doesn't tell them it's okay. He doesn't tell them, don't worry about it, shrug it off, try better next time. He doesn't excuse their behavior. But he tells them, you didn't know what you were doing. And as he does that, he connects the words of Christ, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, to these people as well. Christ is praying as he is being crucified on the tree to forgive these very Jews right now. God had already put this plan in motion from the beginning. It's for this very reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth. It's for this very reason that Jesus gave up his life and went to the cross. So that one day when these people realized it was me, it was my sin, they wouldn't just see their sin hanging on the tree, but they would see their Savior, the Lamb of God who came to take away their sin. And they would see the penalty for their sin being paid in Christ Jesus on the tree. So when you realize, and when I realize that it was my sin that held him there, we not only see our sin, but we see our Savior. And we see Christ, and we see our forgiveness, our penalty being paid in Jesus Christ on that cross. I skipped over an important part in verse 15. The Prince of Life, who was put to death by these Jews, who was handed over to Pilate to be crucified, he's a Prince of Life, but he is not dead. Yes, he truly died, but he is not still dead because he is the one whom God raised from the dead. A fact to which we are witnesses, Peter says. Here, Peter tells these guilt-ridden Jews that their offense is not final. 
Their offense has been overridden. Yes, they've delivered Christ over to be crucified. He's not still dead. He is alive. And as Christ is raised up from the dead, he is alive to this day. And it is this resurrected Jesus Christ that has healed this lame man. This resurrected Jesus Christ is still in the business of healing people who need to be healed. And that includes you and me of our sin and these Jews of their sin. And Peter tells them, believe it. As you see this man jumping up and leaping for joy who you've never seen do that before. Believe it as I am an eyewitness of this account. Believe it as you can ask anyone else who's seen Jesus Christ rise again from the dead that he is alive. That he has come to bring you forgiveness of sin. And believe it as you look back to the messages of old. Search your scriptures. Look in the Old Testament and see that Christ has fulfilled these prophecies. The message was loud and clear for these Jews. You put to death the Savior, yet he is alive. And the message is loud and clear for us today as well. It was our sin that nailed him there, yet he is alive. Just as the Jews heard that their actions had been undone, that Jesus was brought back to life, Peter now shares how they can get their names cleared, how they can get this terrible thing erased from their account. He continues his message. He says, therefore, repent and return that so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful promise that that is. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. It's not too late. Yes, you sent Jesus to the cross, but he is alive to this day to come and bring you forgiveness of sins. Be ignorant no more. God has raised up his son again. See the Savior. He has come for you. Repent. Come to Jesus and trust in him. This is the message that Peter has for these people. This is a message that the Holy Spirit has for you this morning as well. Not only are our sins wiped away and removed from our account, but Peter says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What is this time of refreshing? One theologian describes it as that feeling we get when we feel the sweetness of God's grace in Christ Jesus without disturbance. In other words, that feeling you get when you realize the depths of your sin. That feeling you get in the pit of the stomach when you realize it was my sin that held Christ on the tree. It was for me that Christ was whipped and died. That feeling that you get that there's nothing you can do to take that back. That feeling that you get when you hear Christ say, Father, forgive them, for he doesn't know what he's doing. The feeling that you get, Christ says, it is for love that I came, to forgive you. The feeling you get when Christ says, you are forgiven. No longer are you defined as a sinner, but defined as a saint. That as you stand in Christ, you are holy and righteous, blameless and forgiven. It's a refreshment we get when we look to Christ, not looking to ourselves and our own actions, but looking to Christ and what he has done. When we realize that we have peace with God because of the price that Jesus paid, 
Unfortunately, we don't always feel this way. But when these times come, be refreshed by them. Be renewed and look again to Jesus and praise God for what he has done. And be encouraged to live your life for him again. And look forward to the next time when Christ comes and gives you this period of refreshing through his presence, being undisturbed, knowing that you are at peace with God for the sake of Christ who has died for your sins. Peter calls out to these Jews, repent and return. And the Holy Spirit calls out to you today, repent and return. So what will they do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus this morning? There's still more to Peter's message. Peter includes a warning as well, a necessary warning in verse 23. He says these words, And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. He quotes Moses in the previous verse, who identifies this prophet as the same servant of God that Peter writes about, the prophet who would be Jesus Christ. Peter says, not heeding this prophet, not listening to this prophet, not believing in this prophet, Jesus Christ leads to one destination, being utterly destroyed from among the people. Ignoring the prophet, despising his work, leads not only to a lifetime of utter destruction, but it leads to eternity of utter destruction apart from God. The Jews, as they came to this temple to worship for prayer, saw a lame man healed. They were confronted that they've been, this man has been healed by Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, who they had put to death. And now they have a decision to make, what will I do with Jesus? How will I interpret these facts that this man who has been lame since birth now walks and jumps? And he's been healed by Jesus Christ. He's not dead, but he is alive. Do I accept this? Or do I treat Jesus Christ as just a has-been? Do I accept the word of the prophets that this is the resurrected Lord, this is the Messiah who has come to save me? Or walk away to our own destruction? Today we have a decision to make as well. What will you do with Jesus? Will you repent and return to him so that your sins may be wiped away? Will you acknowledge him as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Scripture? the holy and righteous one, the prince of life, the author of salvation, the lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world, including your sin. Or just turn your back on him and ignore him and deny him. A choice that leads to the utter destruction of your soul. Peter concludes his sermon with verse 25 and 26. And here we see God's purpose again in sending Jesus with these words it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up to his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. God raised up his servant. God raised up Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to this earth for this purpose to bless you by turning every single one of us from our wicked ways, to turn to him, to be the Lamb of God who has taken away your sin. This is the purpose for which Jesus came. This is the purpose for which Jesus died. This is the purpose for which Jesus rose again, so that you and I can repent and return to him, so that our sins 
may be forgiven, may be wiped away, the times of refreshing may come from Christ. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, for what he has done for us. Thank you for all of the prophets who have prophesied of Jesus, who is to come to pay the penalty for our sin, who is to come to offer salvation, to give us salvation. And Lord, as we hear this message, help us to turn our hearts to you, to look to you as our Savior, as our Messiah, as our forgiveness, as our righteousness. And Lord, for those who don't know about you, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the courage and the boldness to tell them of what you have done. You have come to this earth to save every one of us, to turn us from our wicked ways, our ways leading to destruction, and to turn us to you, the fountain of everlasting life. We praise you, Jesus, and we thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.